Chapter Six, Part Three of The Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Once in the period of these three years, Laura and her husband had gone abroad. But her experience in England, they did not get to the continent, had been a disappointment to her. The museums, art galleries, and cathedrals were not of the least interest to Jadwin, and though he followed her from one to another with uncomplaining stoicism, she felt his distress and had contrived to return home three months ahead of time. It was during this trip that they had bought so many of the pictures and appointments for the North Avenue house and Laura's disappointment over her curtailed European travels was mitigated by the anticipation of her pleasure in settling in the new home. This had not been possible immediately after their marriage. For nearly two years the great place had been given over to contractors, architects, decorators, and gardeners, and Laura and her husband had lived, while in Chicago, at a hotel giving up the one-time rectory on Cass Street to Page and to Aunt Wess. But when at last Laura entered upon possession of the North Avenue house, she was not, after the first enthusiasm and excitement over its magnificence had died down, altogether pleased with it, though she told herself the contrary. Outwardly it was all that she could desire— it fronted Lincoln Park, and from all the windows upon that side the most delightful outlooks were obtainable. Green woods, open lawns, the parade ground, the Lincoln Monument, dells, bushes, smooth drives, flower beds, and fountains. From the great bay window of Laura's own sitting-room she could see far out over Lake Michigan, and watched the procession of great lake steamers from Milwaukee, far-distant Duluth, and Sault Ste. Marie, the famous Sioux, defiling majestically past, making for the mouth of the river, laden to the water's edge with whole harvests of wheat. At night, when the windows were open in the warm weather, she could hear the mournful wash and lapping of the water on the embankments. The grounds about her home were beautiful, the stable itself was half again as large as her old home opposite St. James, and the conservatory, in which she took the keenest delight, was a wonderful affair, a vast bubble-like structure of green panes, whence winter and summer came a multitude of flowers for the house, violets, lilies of the valley, jonquils, hyacinths, tulips, and her own loved roses. But, the interior of the house was in parts less satisfactory. Jadwin, as soon as his marriage was a certainty, had bought the house and had given over its internal furnishings to a firm of decorators. Innocently enough he had intended to surprise his wife, had told himself that she should not be burdened with the responsibility of selection and planning. Fortunately, however, the decorators were men of taste, there was nothing to offend and much to delight in the results they obtained in the dining-room, breakfast-room, parlors, drawing-rooms, and suites of bedrooms. But Laura, though the beauty of it all enchanted her, could never rid herself of a feeling that it was not hers. It impressed her with its splendor of natural woods and dull color effects, its cunning electrical devices, its mechanical contrivances for comfort, like the ready-made luxury and convenience of a Pullman. 
However, she had intervened in time to reserve certain of the rooms to herself, and these, the library, her bedroom, and more especially that apartment from whose bay windows she looked out upon the lake, and which, as if she were still in her old home, she called the upstairs sitting-room, she furnished to suit herself. For very long she found it difficult, even with all her resolution, with all her pleasure in the new-gained wealth, to adapt herself to a manner of living upon so vast a scale. She found herself continually planning the marketing for the next day, forgetting that this now was part of the housekeeper's duties. For months she had persisted in doing her room after breakfast, just as she had been taught to do in the old days when she was a little girl at Barrington. She was afraid of the elevator, and never really learned how to use the neat little system of telephones that connected the various parts of the house with the servants' quarters. For months her chiefest concern in her wonderful surroundings took the form of a dread of burglars. Her keenest delights were her stable and the great organ in the art gallery, and these alone more than compensated for her uneasiness in other particulars. Horses Laura adored, black ones with flowing tails and manes like certain pictures she had seen. Nowadays, except on the rarest occasions, she never set foot out of doors, except to take her carriage, her coupé, her phaeton, or her dog-cart. Best of all, she loved her saddle-horses. She had learned to ride, and the morning was inclement indeed that she did not take a long and solitary excursion through the park, followed by the groom and Jadwin's two spotted coach-dogs. The great organ terrified her at first, but on closer acquaintance she came to regard it as a vast-hearted, sympathetic friend. She already played the piano very well, and she scorned Jadwin's self-playing attachment. A teacher was engaged to instruct her in the intricacies of stops and of pedals, and in the difficulties of the echo organ, great organ, choir, and swell. So soon as she had mastered these, Laura entered upon a new world of delight. Her taste in music was as yet a little immature. Gounod and even Verdi were its limitations. But to hear, responsive to the lightest pressures of her fingertips, the mighty instrument go thundering through the cadences of the anvil chorus gave her a thrilling sense of power that was superb. The untrained, unguided instinct of the actress in Laura had fostered in her a curious penchant toward melodrama. She had a taste for the magnificent. She reveled in these great musical effects upon her organ, the grandiose easily appealed to her, while as for herself the role of the grand dame, with this uh, wonderful house for background and environment, came to be for her, quite unconsciously, a sort of game in which she delighted. It was by this means that in the end she succeeded in fitting herself to her new surroundings innocently enough and with a harmless almost childlike affectation she posed a little and by so doing found the solution to the incongruity between herself the laura of moderate means and quiet life and the massive luxury with which she was now surrounded without knowing it she began to act the part of a great lady and she acted it well she assumed the existence of her numerous servants as she assumed the fact of the trees in the park. 
she gave herself into the hands of her maid not as laura jadwin of herself would have done it clumsily and with the constraint of inexperience but as she would have done it if she had been acting the part on the stage with an air with all the nonchalance of a marquise with in fine all the superb condescension of her grand manner she knew very well that if she relaxed this auteur that her servants would impose on her would run over her and in this matter she found new cause for wonder in her husband the servants from the frigid butler to the undergroom adored jadwin a half-expressed wish upon his part produced a more immediate effect than laura's most explicit orders he never descended to familiarity with them and as a matter of fact ignored them to such an extent that he forgot or confused their names but where laura was obeyed with precise formality and chilly deference jadwin was served with obsequious alacrity and with a good humor that even livery and correct form could not altogether conceal laura's eyes were first opened to this genuine affection which jadwin inspired in his servants by an incident which occurred in the first months of their occupancy of the new establishment one of the gardeners discovered the fact that jadwin affected gardenias in the lapel of his coat and thereat was at immense pains to supply him with a fresh bloom from the conservatory every morning the flower was to be placed at jadwin's plate and it was quite the event of the day for the old fellow when the master appeared on the front steps with the flower in his coat but a feud promptly developed over this matter between the gardener and the maid who took the butler's place at breakfast every morning sometimes jadwin did not get the flower and the gardener charged the maid with remissness in forgetting to place it at his plate after he had given it into her hands in the end the affair became so clamorous that jadwin himself had to intervene the gardener was summoned and found to have been in fault only in his eagerness to please billy said jadwin to the old man at the conclusion of the whole matter you're an old fool and the gardener thereupon had bridled and stammered as though jadwin had conferred a gift now if i had called him an old fool observed laura he would have sulked the rest of the week the happiest time of the day for laura was the evening in the daytime she was variously occupied but her thoughts continually ran forward to the end of the day when her husband would be with her jadwin breakfasted early and laura bore him company no matter how late she had stayed up the night before by half-past eight he was out of the house driving down to his office in his buggy behind nip and tuck by nine laura's own saddle-horse was brought to the carriage porch and until eleven she rode in the park at twelve she lunched with page and in the afternoon in the upstairs sitting-room read her browning or her meredith the latter one of her newest discoveries uh, till three or four sometimes after that she went out in her carriage if it was to shop she drove to the rookery in la salle street after her purchases were made and sent the footman up to her husband's office to say that she would take him home or as often as not she called for mrs cressler or aunt wess or mrs gretry and carried them off to some exhibit of painting or flowers or more rarely for she had not the least interest in social affairs to teas or receptions 
but in the evenings after dinner she had her husband to herself page was almost invariably occupied by one or more of her young men in the drawing-room but laura and jadwin shut themselves in the library a lofty panelled room a place of deep leather chairs tall bookcases etchings and sombre brasses and there while jadwin lay stretched out upon the broad sofa smoking cigars one hand behind his head laura read aloud to him his tastes in fiction were very positive laura at first had tried to introduce him to her beloved meredith but after three chapters when he had exclaimed what's the fool talking about she had given over and began again from another starting point left to himself his wife sorrowfully admitted that he would have gravitated to the mysterious island and michael strogoff or even to mr potter of texas and mr barnes of new york but she had set herself to accomplish his literary education so meredith failing she took up treasure island and the wrecker much of these he made her skip oh let's get on with the story he urged but pinkerton for long remained for him an ideal because he was smart and alive i'm not long very many of art he announced but i believe that any art that don't make the world better and happier is no art at all and is only fit for the dump heap but at last laura found his abiding affinity in howells nothing much happens he said but i know these people he never could rid himself of a surreptitious admiration for bartley hubbard he too was smart and alive he had the get there to him why he would say i know fifty boys just like him down there in la salle street lapham he loved as a brother never a point in the development of his character that he missed or failed to chuckle over bromfield corey was pooed and boshed quite out of consideration as a loafer a dilettante but lapham had all his sympathy yes sir he would explain interrupting the narrative that's just it that's just what i would have done if i had been in his place come this chap knows what he's writing about not like that middleton ass with his dianas and amazing marriages occasionally the jadwins entertained laura's husband was proud of his house and never tired of showing his friends about it laura gave page a coming-out dance and nearly every sunday the cresslers came to dinner but aunt west could at first rarely be induced to pay the household a visit so much grandeur made the little widow uneasy even a little suspicious she would shake her head at laura murmuring my word it's all very fine but dear me laura i hope you do pay for everything on the nail and don't run up any bills i don't know what your dear father would say to it all no i don't and she would spend hours in counting the electric bulbs which she insisted were only devices uh, for some new-fangled gas thirty-three in this one room alone she would say i'd like to see your dear husband's face when he gets his gas bill <laughs> and a dressmaker that lives in the house well i don't want to say anything thus three years had gone by the new household settled to a regime continually jadwin grew richer his real estate appreciated in value rents went up 
every time he speculated in wheat it was upon a larger scale and every time he won he was a bear always and on those rare occasions when he referred to his ventures in laura's hearing it was invariably to say that prices were going down till at last had come that spring when he believed that the bottom had been touched had had the talk with gretry and had in secret turned bull with the suddenness of a strategist the matter was yet in gretry's mind while the party remained in the art gallery and as they were returning to the drawing-room he detained jadwin an instant if you are set upon breaking your neck he said you might tell me at what figure you want me to buy for you to-morrow at the market returned jadwin i want to get into the thing quick end of chapter six part three